Hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan Douglas, and you're listening to OnPsych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association. I am here today with Dr. Zhang Zhao of uh, the University of British Columbia in the Behavioral Sustainability Lab. The Behavioral Sustainability Lab. And I, I think uh, I mean, we were just talking briefly about some of her uh, ongoing uh, research interests. And I think <laughs> we may have here a regular guest because there's so much interesting stuff going on in that lab. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, my lab uh, works on fixing sustainability challenges uh, such as climate change, uh, waste, pollution and poverty. Fantastic. Fantastic. And the particular interest that I had, I, ca I came across your name because I've had an interest, uh, a passing interest, a distant interest. It's certainly not anything I know a very great deal about. But here in Ontario, a few years ago, we had a, uh, a project uh, uh, that was uh, later canceled by a new government, but it was uh, universal basic income. And the idea was to provide people with a basic income that would be adequate to essentially bring them out of poverty and to see what would happen if we did that. And I, I, I was Googling this and the psychological implications of that because I suspect they're quite profound. And I came across your name. This is something that you studied as well. Yes, I did. Can you tell us a little bit? First of all, what is universal basic income? Universal basic income is a monthly paycheck around the amount of $500 to $1,000, depending on where you live, to every citizen in the country for a sustained period of time. Okay. So it would go to every citizen regardless of, of income? That's correct. Yeah. That sounds like it would be incredibly expensive. It is expensive. Um, but the, the status quo is also very expensive. Uh, the government, at least the Canadian government, is spending billions of dollars every year on poverty reduction. Um, this, the basic income approach will be more expensive than that, but it's, it's feasible. Um, there's a lot of tax redistribution that we can do to support this program. Right. Now, I don't think we should only focus on the cost of this program because that's the typical issue that comes to mind. Absolutely. We have to also think about the benefits and the savings that basic income will create. Sure, government spends, you know, a lot more money on poverty reduction, but the benefits are enormous and that can save the government even more money. So at the end of the day, basic income can be cost effective and actually can be cost saving for the government. So that's my argument. Let, let's think about that for a moment. What are some of the costs that are associated with poverty that we're currently paying? Oh, we're paying for income assistance, employment benefits, uh, disability benefits, uh, child support, all kinds of, you know, these are the, 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 the typical uh, benefits that each province or territory is providing. Right. Uh, you know, the, the other, you know, like sort of the uh, indirect costs of poverty. Yeah, like hospitalization, like clinical uh, uh, health care costs, mm -hmm. uh, police visits, the costs on the uh, justice systems are en enormous. So, yeah, so I think, I think the, 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 the cost on poverty or of poverty are 
already huge to start with, not just, you know, income, basically income assistance or monthly paychecks. Right. But I, I just, I think that the current cost benefit analysis analysis around basic income is not neutral. It's not comprehensive. Uh, it's focusing on oh, how much it would it cost the government. Yes. To be honest, in Canada, the, the program I just mentioned, uh, it's going to cost the government $88 billion. That's a lot. It is. It but, is. But there will be savings. There, I think there will be perhaps even greater savings that come from this investment. And the current spending on poverty and associated consequences of poverty is perhaps more than $88 billion. So, right. so that's the, the, the cost savings piece. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking of things too, like, um, you know, I, I don't know the numbers on this, uh, but I would hazard a guess based on, you know, just what I've observed. If you grow up in poverty, then your productivity right? Your economic contribution to society across the remainder of your lifetime is probably significantly lower on average, certainly not exclusively. This is not, you know, uh, you know, a dire prediction for everyone who grows up in poverty. But on average, I would imagine that you're less likely to end up with a high paying job with decent benefits and a pension. You're more likely to be you know, uh, a, a net cost to society than a, a, a net provider. Oh, absolutely. You, if you, if you grow up in poverty, if you are in currently in poverty, um, you become, you are less productive. So you work less hours, mm-hmm. you know, basically the contribution that you make to society is less than somebody who's not in poverty. And not just that, you're more likely to have mental health challenges, substance use challenges. You're more likely to encounter, uh, the police and, and, um, Perhaps you know, uh, stay in, uh, you know, in prison or jail for some period of time, and these are all extraordinary costs to society. Yes, yeah, yeah. The stress of growing up with poverty has long-term implications across the lifespan. We like to say, you know, it's the, the destigmatizing message, you know, that you know, mental health or substance abuse can strike anybody, any family, regardless of income, which is accurate unless you look at statistics, Mm -hmm. in which case it remains accurate, but heavily skewed down the, uh, down the economic slope. Right. That's right. Yeah. So when we, I mean, there are places, I mean, Ontario is an example, right. Where we had a, uh, you must be more familiar. I would suspect with it than I am, but uh, it lasted what about a year and a half? Yeah, it launched in 2017. It was canceled shortly after uh, the election, the provincial election in in, in early 2018. In early 2018, yeah. So we got basically a year out of that. So, but but actually, the the participants continued to receive money until about March 2019. So so okay. about maybe oh, two okay. years. Okay. Okay. And. What did we learn? What what like what were the outcomes? You know, from a particularly from a psychological yeah. perspective. Yeah. So there, there's a report coming out of the uh, Ontario research groups that try to document the impact of the basic income program in Ontario. So what what they found was um, self-reported mental mental health and physical health improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, stress levels declined mm-hmm. in the cash recipients. Yeah. Um, the recipients also reported that, you know, the quality of jobs that they had uh, improved. So that, they were able, able to actually be- get better jobs. 
Isn't that fascinating, right? <laughs> you, you give people free money and they end up with better jobs. How does that work? That's something actually I saw in my own experiment too, which I'll get to in later. Yes. Um, exactly. Because if I have an income security, if I know I'm going to get you know $500 or $1,000 a month, I'm not forced to take these low paying, no dignity jobs, right? right. It, I, I, can, I have a choice. I can switch to a better paid job, a job that fits better with my schedule. So that's that's number one. That's yeah. that's kind of the prevailing finding we we see with with any um, with most cash transfer studies in the world. Yes. Um, now, for those who don't or didn't have a job, basic income allowed them to search for better jobs. Um, so they, they actually they that's one of the mechanisms. Is yes. now I have income security. I can take my time to find the job I I really need. I really want. Right. Instead of taking the short-term, poorly paid jobs, like yes. scrubbing in Vancouver, those would be scrub, scrubbing gum off the street. Right. I mean, it's 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 just it's it, I think I think there's the salary aspect, there's the self dignity yeah. aspect, mm -hmm. right? There's the satisfaction aspect. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say that for the Ontario trial, um, there's actually no change in employment. It's not that people get the income basic income and they stop working right right that's not at all what 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 that showed or actually this is true for again most basic income trials that have taken place in the world um the the impact on employment is minimum right right Which I, I i and that makes total sense to me because i've always believed you know that well, I mean, I'm, and we've i think there's there's research to support this too what defines whether or not you feel rich really isn't what have you got right it's what do your neighbors have right and you know if you if you grow up in a in a town where the average person has only one chicken and you've got two you might feel you know really quite rich right that's right and it, you know it, so it, it can be quite a um an impact you know basically if we so long as we're able to move ahead in life right that seems to help us, you know, get a sense of I'm doing well, right? You know, the access to transportation, right? You know, you know, people at the lower end of the spectrum can't afford a car, which means they have to get a job that they can access by bus, which means they're already severely limited in the number of jobs they can access, right? As soon as you can afford a vehicle, now you're able to expand your 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 job search so much dramatically that you're not tied to the bus schedule. You're not tied to, you know, when does the bus run and this kind of a thing. Yeah, it, it does raise an interesting question, though. It, it, it's one that you sort of, you know, hint at a little bit. We need people to scrape the gum off the sidewalks too. What if nobody wants to do that job? I think machines can do that. Why do humans have to do it? <laughs> and it's such a low-level mechanical task yes that plenty of robots can do it yes yes so so we, there's there's technological leaps that can can help with some of the uh, the gaps there right i mean if you look at the current street cleaning regimes in most cities in, in canada or us it's it's highly um autonomized mm -hmm. all all that happens is the driver drives the truck and the truck drives along the street and cleans the street. 
Yes. Right. It's only in, I think, developing countries at this moment where you need physical labor to clean the street. I mean, it's, it's only because they don't have the equipment, right? Mm-hmm. And there would also, be, I mean, it would still be, you know, you've got your basic income, you know, uh, we could do a better job perhaps of matching, you know, I, I guess the market would do a better job of matching someone's skill sets with what the job is, right? You know, and it, as you say, it, it may not take a lot of, uh, you know, education, intelligence to to do that kind of a job, right? So maybe there's people who aren't able to take on more challenging positions, but could be more productive than they currently are. Because one of the things that our, our system currently does is it tends to discourage taking on work. Right. You know, if you if you're on a disability supports program and you think, well, maybe I can make a little bit of extra money here. Right. I know in Ontario, I think it's something like you can make up to two hundred dollars in a month before you have to start handing it back to the government. Right. At some percentage or, you know, um, and it, it, so it becomes a bit of a disincentive towards going out and getting a job. Yeah, the current system is, is there's 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 this uh, dilemma here um, to receive the the income benefit or employment uh, insurance. Um, you need to prove that you are looking for jobs. Yes. But at the same time, there's this perverse incentive that oh, if you get a job, you're out of you're 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 no longer on this program. Right. Right. So. <laughs> That does discourage people from actually getting the jobs because sometimes the job is so low paying that, you know, it doesn't, the difference between the income check and my salary is not that big. So why would I work? Right. So that's the current system. Within the, um, within the, you know, the results that we've seen, right. Um, What were the, what were the health outcomes like? Oh, the um, physical health um, mm-hmm. improved a lot with basic income. So less less visits to the hospital, better health conditions overall. They are more energetic. There's less uh, cardiovascular diseases or incidents. Um, that's also actually you know related uh, yes. related to stress levels. So yeah, so that's 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 physical health. Mental health also improved. Um, people feel a greater like a sense of ease. Their their mm-hmm. their mind is less burdened with basic income. Uh, some people actually feel more connected to their community, right? Uh, because they can now have time. They can actually spend more time with people in their community. And um, women, in particular, uh, report greater autonomy. Now they they have money. They don't need to rely on their spouse or partner. Right. Um, who sometimes there's, there's actually a lot of economic abuse yes. in low, lower income families or couples. Yes. Right. So, so I think that's that's kind of a gendered uh, difference in in, in um, of, of basic income. Th- those those results are described um, actually um, are seen in the Mincom experiment. So this is the. Canada's first large-scale basic income trial. Okay, tell me about this. I've not heard of this. So, so income mm-hmm. it was it was a while ago. Uh, it paid families in basically in Winnipeg and Dolphin and and few rural communities right. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm remembering now. I did hear about this. Yes, yes. Yeah, this is this is in the uh, so Winnipeg was uh, basically took place in Manitoba um, between eight, um, 75 and 78. Right. So this has been a while. Um, so families basically receive monthly paychecks um, as as from uh, uh, from this basic income program. Mm-hmm. So what what they found? So this this program lasted three years. So what they found was uh, poverty rates declined, mm-hmm. obviously. So both physical and mental health improved. Uh, now high school completion rates also improved or increased. Wow! So young children or young adults uh, or teenagers, they are better able to finish high school as a result of this monthly paycheck, as opposed to having to look for or work, work for money. Right, right, right. So there's an impact. Obviously, teenagers are actually, you know, if you're 18 or whatever, you start getting this money as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking also that children growing up in the families where the parents are receiving it are likely also gaining benefit, aren't they? Oh, yeah. So what parents, I mean, especially mothers, what they do when they get the cash transfer, the first thing they do is put their kids to school. Mm-hmm. That's like that's, that's that's a universal behavioral pattern that we see in most countries um, because they want their children to finish their education or to get their education instead of having the children having to work. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's really encouraging. And, and I think in terms of education, the other uh, kind of outcome is even adults getting this, you know, income, basic income, they resort to, you know, go into schools or, doing certificate programs to, to get the skill set they need so that they can get a better paid job. That's another reason why they can get a better paid job. Yes. Yeah. So, so these are all kind of educational benefits yeah. from basic income. Yeah. Now I, I would just want to finish the income experiment. Mm-hmm. So other benefits include uh, crime, right? So crime, especially fa- family violence declined. I think mm-hmm. that's really encouraging that, that, that shows, you know, economic stability actually can reduce domestic violence. That's that's really great to see. Um, and people reported, you know, less stress. That's related to health. Uh, they're more involved in their community. They 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 volunteer more. Uh, they they help out in their community. And women in that income experiment um, reported that they have better or they have more autonomy. So well, economic autonomy in particular. So, so these are kind of the, the main effects. And the income uh, experiment did not impact work or employment rate. There was actually no change in labor, labor force participation, basically. Wow. Young men. So the only kind of slight impact on employment is young men between 15 and 24 uh, worked less. Because they were finishing, they were they went back to school. They were to they were school. taking advantage of the opportunity to go to school <laughs> and therefore be able to end up with a better long term outcome, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Um, and the other group that worked less was new mothers. They they can now afford to to stay home and take care of their newborn, right? As opposed to having to look for jobs, right? And of course, this would have been the 70s before we had you know the maternity this is the 70s yeah 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 that's right that's right but even today 
you know, uh, this can allow for, you know, reduced childcare costs and this kind of a thing. You can make a, a you know, a judgment, you know, um, as, as you're saying, you know, right now we have this, this, this patchwork of systems, you know, all of which of course demand an enormous burden of, um, um, bureaucracy, right? Every system has to have someone take a look at your application and, you know, crunch the numbers and figure out whether or not you're, you're, you're going to qualify for it and be in touch with you and follow up and make sure you're not cheating and all of this stuff. It's enormous. And, and then multiply that across welfare and ODSP and, you know, un, un, unemployment benefits and, you know, all the different systems that might be involved. Uh, ODSP being the Ontario version, I should say, um, you know, but all these different systems, right? Um, and then you just almost completely able to eliminate that, have one single system, one point of contact for, and it basically be so automatic if we're talking about every single citizen, right? Yeah. And obviously, you know, you can, you know, offset the, you know, the benefit or the tax credit in a sense, you know, with, with you know, somewhat higher taxes or whatever, you know, in the very rich. You know, so it, it, it's, you know, we're, we're saving a lot of money there, right? We're saving a lot of money yeah. there and freeing people up to make their own choices about what they can best do. Yeah, it's it's empowering. Mm -hmm. It gives people a sense of freedom and dignity. And that's what really what basic income is about. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it removes all the hurdles you have to jump through to get on different mm -hmm. kinds of benefits. As you said, the piecemeal approach to poverty reduction is extremely mentally taxing. Just filling out different paperwork. And if if you, oh, I, I, I took a look at uh, the income assistance application in BC, the form is just, it's unforgiving. Right. And what happens is if you miss a, a cell, miss a line, or if you didn't complete one box, the file sits there and is re rejected and you don't even know about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then you have to redo the whole thing again. Oh. So I think that the, the administrative costs are enormous for the government. Also, yeah. the, the, the going through that process is just psychologically taxing. Yes. Yes. It's, it's extremely labor intensive and demeaning too. Yeah. Like who would, yeah, you know, I guess... Having gone through, I, 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 I'm an immigrant, so I've gone through lots and lots of paperwork just to move to <laughs> countries. Yes. I can't tell you how many lives, years of life I have given up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can believe it. Hey, on Psych listeners, Katie here from Jane. I wanted to take a few seconds to say you're doing incredible work. Whether you're a receptionist, office manager, practitioner, or all of the above, we see your commitment to your clients. Jane was built to help you transform that commitment into a thriving business, all while making your day-to-day -day easier. You can head to jane.app forward slash mental health to read more and see if we can be a good fit for your practice. What happens? What's the impact? I mean, let, let's say... And we've already got someone who's broken and, you know, as a result of, you know, years of abuse, years of poverty, then maybe they now have, 
you know, substance abuse issues, perhaps they're, they're homeless, right? Um, what happens if we give that person a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month or, you know, two thousand or whatever it might be, uh, without oversight? That's actually what we did. That's exactly the experiment I did. Excellent. So we, um, gave homeless individuals in Vancouver, a one-time cash transfer mm -hmm. of $7,500, unconditional. So no strings attached, unsupervised, not monitored. Um, and we track the impact of the cash transfer on these people's lives. Okay. So the study is currently under review. Um, I'm, there's a preprint. I'm happy to send you a link. To oh, I'd love to see that. Yes. Yeah. So um, we recruited, this, this, is a, this is a pilot project. So it's only 100 people or so. It's a small group where 50 people received the cash transfer. Right. And another 65 didn't. They, they served as a kind of an experimental control group. Sure. Um, and we tracked people for a year. What we found was, so these are, sorry, just to clarify, these are individuals living on the street, living in shelters. Mm -hmm. They were homeless. Mm -hmm. um, I have to specify that um, they did not have severe levels of alcohol abuse or substance abuse. By severe levels, I mean, they cannot basically, you know, use these substances so much that they, they become not functional anymore. Right. They can still use, it's just that it has, it has to be a low or medium levels. Right? Okay. So these are the, 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 the people we recruited. Um, we found that in one month after the cash transfer, they, about half of the cash recipients were able to move into stable housing. Now that's remarkable. I didn't think that was going to be possible. Yeah. Because in, in Vancouver, if you're homeless, if you're staying in a shelter, you have to wait six months on average to get into transitional housing. Right. The wait list is about six months. Right. So now giving you this $7,500 cash transfer, we, we found that they are able to move into stable housing right away, like within one month. That's remarkable. It really is. It really is. But it was a one-time cash transfer. So how are they going to be able to maintain that over time? Uh, they're, they're not. So it's one time. So unlike basic income, so this is this is almost like a basic income, uh, let's say a thousand dollars for seven and a half months. Right, right. right. That's the right. amount equivalent. But but what yes. we did was we chose not to do monthly or regular payments uh, because that's you know I I think the the biggest benefit of this one time payment is that they can now pay deposit, they can pay rent, they can get a car. Right, right. So it allows right. them to make large purchases at once and not just, you know, like increase their monthly paychecks. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. um, if you're already homeless, I mean, that, that's, that's so necessary. You right? need to pay rent, you need to pay deposit, right? Yes. So Vancouver is expensive. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yes. So I think that's the rationale for the one time as opposed to monthly payments. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So housing, stability increased. Uh, we also saw um, savings went up. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of counterintuitive. Their spending went up, their savings went up. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. means that they're able to spend more. They spent more money on food, clothes, transit. As you said, they actually are able to you know, travel more. They become more mobile yes. as a result of the cash transfer. 
And they actually, for mothers who have dependents, they, the mothers spend more money on their children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of where the spending went. Spending on temptation goods. So these are things like alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs. Right. Um, spending on those items declined. That actually declined over one year, whereas people without the cash transfer, they increased their spending on alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes over time. Because that's the action of hopelessness, isn't it? Yeah, right? that's the self-medication. That's the self-soothing uh, mechanisms. Yes. Uh, whereas yeah. if you have the cash transfer, you actually don't need to because now you're more independent. You Your life gets better. You don't need alcohol and drugs. So th- this is this is exactly the opposite of what people think is going to happen. Exactly right. So I will ask people, what do you think people would do with the $7,500? The first response, they overdose. They're going to use a lot more drugs and overdose. Yes. That's the that's the kind of the, 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 the first response I get from people. And that just shows, you know, how much distrust we have. It's the stigma, uh, right? It's the stigma. The stigma, yeah. Absolutely. Of people who, who experience homelessness. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, our data suggests the exact opposite. They mm-hmm. spend less money mm-hmm. on alcohol and drugs and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that challenges the stereotypes and the stigmas. There is a... There, there was a study, if I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, and I could be very wrong on this, but was it in Ottawa where they essentially gave homes to the homeless, right? Very similar. Oh, the housing first. Yeah, the housing, housing first. first, yes. Yes. It's somewhat similar, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's maybe similar in that you, the, the, the people now are now housed. Mm-hmm. But housing first is way more expensive than the this kind of this basic income approach really yeah the, because of the the construction of the home units the maintenance of these units i see uh now housing first targets a very different demographic than for instance the 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 cash transfer study i just described mm-hmm. they target mm-hmm. specifically this the mentally ill uh people with severe mental challenge mental health challenges i see i see so so yeah, so that's that's the demographic they're trying to serve. Right. And the outcome is actually not I mean not 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 all positive because one of the 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 kind of a negative outcome from the housing first approach was that um there's a lot more overdose and 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 a lot more um hospital visits um and also more deaths as a result because I mean because people used to use drugs with with others mm-hmm. right so you you have someone else around you when you use when housing first came along they use privately in their own home i see with no people around right so that's actually dangerous for people who have high you know levels of substance abuse issues Certainly the opiates right? exactly yeah, yeah. And then also yeah. the other challenge with, with housing first is that the the people think the people experience less community integration. They mm-hmm. feel they're, they're they don't belong to that community as much as they they, they did in the in the past community. And housing first is also it's it's basically like it's not um, em- empowering because it, it kind of you move to this place. Or not. So the housing first was like, here's this building that we've constructed that we're going to put you in. You you live in that now. Exactly. It's extremely it's, paternalistic. I was just going to say, that was exactly the word I was about to use. It's paternalistic, right? 
it's got, you know, it's not about where do you want to live and what have you chosen for yourself, right? It's right. about right. we're picking you up out of, you know, the downtown core where, you know, we think you're a problem and we're sticking you in here with all the other people we think are problems, right? You know, and, yeah, and, I mean, yeah it's, it may very well be better than sleeping on a grate. <laughs> right yeah i mean how would you yeah. feel if i say jonathan you don't live here anymore you're gonna live somewhere else here that's that right. we chose for you <laughs> that's right that's Who right like that yeah whereas the basic income what well, it, it has that empowering kind of agentic approach mm -hmm. right you have the money you decide where you want to live right so that's that's the difference politically right i mean we saw in ontario liberal government does this progressive conservative government takes it away, right? And it seems like I would hazard a guess that, you know, this, this you know, effort is really perceived as sort of a, a, a more a, a left-wing kind of an approach to dealing with things. It's about empowering the individual. It's about providing resources, right? What kind of pushback do you tend to see uh, politically? uh on 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 efforts like this the biggest pushback is the cost mm -hmm. how much it is going to cost the government mm -hmm. that's their that's the number one argument against basic income mm -hmm. the second pushback is this unfounded um assumption that you're not going to see people work mm -hmm. so employment is going to go down mm -hmm. that's not founded by any evidence not supported mm -hmm. the empirical evidence from all basic income trials, is, is, as I said earlier, did not support that, right? It's not that people getting the cash transfer, uh, income or cash transfer is not going to work. So that's so the, the cost is, is objective. Yes, that, that's going to cost the government this much money. It's $88 billion in, in Canada, for instance. But the work, the, the work ch argument is a completely, I would say, um, subjective Yes. It's yeah. Just your taste or your belief of what people would do, because these two reasons, um, the the conservative parties, even a large portion of the public, um, don't support basic income. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, but I also saw data that suggested something like sixty percent of Canadians do. They do. Which I thought was really impressive. Yeah. So that's that's just more than half. That's that's just more than half. That's right. Sixty percent of Canadians support a basic income of thirty thousand dollars. That's way more than the proposed basic income yeah. program. Right. Um, every Canadian, regardless of employment requirements. Right. Right. So this is just completely unconditional right. cash. Right. Um, so sixty percent. But that means forty percent still object. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, you know, right. like majority governments, you know, are, are founded on a lot less than 60% of a mandate, right? You know, <laughs> so I mean that, that's actually a really, really strong mandate. You know, I mean there there are very few um, you know, social or political issues that actually split, you know, such with such a strong majority. You know, that's that's actually deeply impressive. Yeah. So yeah, so we've got, you know, a, you know, most Canadians being behind it, right? We've got increasing evidence that, you know, it's it's going to be beneficial. Do you think this is something that will happen in the future? I think so. Maybe not in the next five years. <laughs> but it will happen um, 
well, in Canada, I think it will happen maybe within 10 to 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will happen. Um, it, it's, it's going to be the status quo. Where, what, are, what other countries are doing this? So Finland did a basic income pilot. This is this is um, mm -hmm. uh, How, why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> of course it was Finland. <laughs> of course they would, um, but unfortunately, this is the sad truth of of kind of these government backed trials is that they eventually have to cancel it because of public resistance of the amount of spending. Public and resistance. All that. So, yeah. So that trial right. ran for I think a year or two, and then um, or maybe sorry even longer, and then. Uh, the government canceled it, but again, the benefits are enormous. So the, the the people's stress levels declined, the mental health and physical health improved, and right. Um, even and, and then they found that at the end of the trial, even people with significant employment barriers, so people who are less educated, low income, with disability, they are beginning to move into permanent employment. Yes. So that's that's yes. that's actually there's a boost in employment rate uh, in Finland. Um, so Finland is one. Netherlands yeah. also several cities of Netherlands also did something like that. They call this the trust experiments. Um, okay. It's a it's a it's a form of basic income, and what they found exactly was 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 exactly the same. Stress levels declined, physical health, mental health improved. Uh, mm -hmm. There, they also found uh, there's greater trust in government uh, as a result. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that, that these are kind of the the other uh, two countries. Now, those are kind of European kind of uh, North American trials. There, there are a lot more trials that have happened in Africa, in oh, okay. lower income countries. Um, right. They are. Those are. Um, mostly paid for by non-government organizations or charities. Mm -hmm. A few of those mm -hmm. are sponsored by the government. So for instance, there's right. a trial in Kenya. Um, this is actually, there, this, this trial is actually undergoing uh, by Give Directly, which is a um, nonprofit organization in the U.S. And so the trial, I, I don't, I don't have the results because the, it's still ongoing. It's a, I think, um, started in 2019, something like that. But past trials in Africa, like Malawi, um, uh, I think there, there are a few trials happening in Kenya as well. So they, they found that nutrition, so food security and nutritional status increased, uh, physical health improved. Um, mothers, uh, they were able mm -hmm. to take their children to schools we would send them to schools, just like what we saw in 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 in, in uh, North America. Um, and adolescent girls, this is, this is a trial in Malawi. Um, adolescent girls were more likely to attend schools, and they're they're less likely to engage in transactional sex work for money. Right, right. So that's enormous. So teenage pregnancy rates declined. Um, and that's Did we happen to see anything similar in, in North America? Was was there was there any like uh, 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 research on the on like the sexual behavior? Yeah, so so transactional sex uh, levels declined mm -hmm. uh, for, right. for right. especially for young women. Um, right, 
right, right. Yeah. So that's 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 really good to see. These are kind of the benefits and outcomes from developing countries. Yeah, because of course, I mean, you know, and I think, you know, something I'm 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 more and more keenly aware of all the time is the way in which communication, you know, drives people's uh, uh, attitudes and behavior uh, when it comes to things like this. And of course, it's so easy to kind of view universal basic income as free money. <laughs> And, you know, of course they're happier. They're getting free money. Why wouldn't they be happier? And yeah, I can kind of see that. Um, but we need to get the message out there, I think, don't we? That, you know, it's a lot more than just give people money, they'll be happier. It's give people money and we save money, right? Yeah. This is an investment and it's a long-term investment that leads to literally higher productivity the sense potentially for generations right i mean if you could, if you can lift up one single generation and then you you know that generation you know is able to raise healthier children well that healthier generation goes on to raise its own more productive families. And, and it, it, it really, it begins to snowball, doesn't it? Yeah, there's this whole intergenerational poverty uh, in, in, mm -hmm. in a, a lot of countries in the world, where even in Canada and the US, if you're born into poverty, you're, you're, you have a very high chance of staying in poverty as an adult. Yeah, yeah. So that cycle needs to be cut. And as you said earlier, the narrative around poverty and basic income has to change, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It's it's not the the narrative cannot just focus on the cost. Oh, it's free money. You don't have to work for that. It's that's not the right narrative. The narrative has to say it's money that enable people to do more to flourish, and there's a net benefit that comes with it. So let me give you one more example from my from my home uh, the, the homeless trial in Vancouver. What we found was at the end of one year, there is a great net savings for society as a result of this cash transfer. So every cash recipient, right. they, were paid, they received, what, $7,500. Well, that's a lot, you can argue. At the end of the day, they saved society more than $8,000. Actually, the net savings is $777, to be precise. And that was just across, you know, how much time? That's one year. One year, right? Yeah, when does it even come from? That comes from reduced reduced use of social and health services. Mm -hmm. So the government mm -hmm. doesn't need to pay as much as they do now to support these social and health services in the kind of the, the lower, the, 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 the homeless communities. So there's right. a net savings for, it saves taxpayers money. It's yes. Like at the end of the day. So it's, it's kind of yes. like a, it's a no brainer. It has great economic reasons to do it. And the narrative has to change to focus more on the benefits and the gains. We've got to get away from the left versus right, liberal versus conservative way of interpreting this, because really, this it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a benefit no matter how you view it. It's better from the human perspective. It's better from the economic perspective. That's right. That's right? right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Jow, for joining me because that has been absolutely 
fascinating. I feel like I've learned a lot and I'm going to already put out there. I'm going to be getting back in touch with you because we're doing this again. Cause I, you know, <laughs> not only is this a fascinating topic, but you've got a lot going on in that little lab of yours. <laughs> so I want to hear more about what's happening there. You know, looking at the, uh, the, the climate issues in particular, I think is, you know, something which is something we're going to be increasingly focused on in the, uh, in the next few years. So I'm sure we'll be talking again. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jonathan, for having me. I had a blast. Thank you. Hey there, this is Katie from Jane. Thanks for letting our team be a part of your listening experience over these past few months. We're proud to be sponsors of the Ontario Psychological Association and the OnSite podcast. If you're new to Jane, let me tell you a bit about us. Jane is complete practice management software that can help you navigate your day-to-day -day with ease and flexibility. This means simple scheduling, streamlined billing, intuitive charting, and so much more. We'd love to meet you and hear your story. Our team is only a phone call or email away, and you can find us over at jane.app forward slash mental health. We look forward to hearing from you. You have been listening to On Psych, presented by the Ontario Psychological Association. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Mm -hmm.